Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome to the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number 65, and my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. I'm fully triggered by that noise. <laughs> uh, I feel you, man. I don't remember what episode. I was just going to ask this question. <laughs> but I know you and I discussed on this podcast before mm-hmm. that the last movie that made both of us feel like little pansies mm-hmm. was the American remake yep. of The Grudge. It's one of our best moments, I feel like, where we actually discovered live on the show that... <laughs> That's the one sh- movie that basically terrifies both of us. Yeah, that's that's the movie that chilled us both to the core. I was going to say, like, your encyclopedic memory would say, oh, yes, that was episode uh, 34 or whatever, because I have no idea what episode that was. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in the 60s now, but like, we're officially old-timers. So. Mm, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, it's we're getting, retiring. It's getting hard to remember exactly what's what yeah. and where's when. And We're hitting retirement age tonight. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so the title of this episode, is, or the theme of this episode, is Putting the J in Horror, which I have to imagine most people could guess what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as for the actual three movies we're going to be discussing, uh, we have Ringu from 1998, we have Juwan the Grudge from 2002, and we have Chakushin Ari from 2003. Which translates to One Missed Call. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are all the original Japanese versions of these films, which were later remade in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll go ahead and say, while I had seen The Ring and The Grudge before, I had never seen any of these original Japanese versions. Uh, same here. And I, I've never seen uh, either of the One Missed Call yeah, same Films, so. until now. Mm-hmm. So The Ring was the first of these, not only to come out in Japan, but the first one to get the remake treatment in the U.S. And it was, I think everybody would agree, the start of the J-horror boom. Like, I think that the term J-horror didn't even really exist yeah. until The Ring. I mean, and The Ring was like a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Like, it was well, huge. Well, it's like... Because we hadn't seen all, like, the majority of Americans hadn't seen all the tropes yet, mm-hmm. it was, like, a, something new. And then, sure. I mean, every single one of the J-horror films that came after it between, like, Pulse and One Miss Call, The oh. Grudge, and, Pulse. I mean, yeah, yeah uh, even ones that aren't Japanese, like uh, The Tale of Two Sisters, which was, or that one was South Korean- uh, the eye was from Hong Kong or something, maybe. But, I mean, they all have, like, the same kind of visuals. And each one, to a degree, was kind of diminishing returns after the ring. Because mm-hmm. that was the one that blew the doors open. Right. Was it the, was Pulse, like, satellites or radios or something? 
You know, I saw the American version of Pulse back when it came out. I remember it had Ian Summerholder in it from uh, from Lost. Mm-hmm. But um, I've seen it I, too, but I just don't remember. I'm, you know, with a title like that, it surely had something to do with like ghosts and like electric stuff, or radio waves. Or but yeah. I mean, it's it's the same thing as like you know, the Ring is a haunted videotape. One missed right. call is a haunted cell phone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's it's all kind of the same thing. That's why I say it kind of. Oh, it know, did. Oh, you're one hundred percent correct. It 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 hit the scene big and wore itself thin pretty quick. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the ring I didn't see in theaters. I remember not even hearing about it or knowing about it. It came out in nineteen ninety eight, or no, the sorry, the the original was ninety eight. The remake, I don't remember exactly what year it came out. I know I was in high school because I remember probably oh two or something, probably somewhere around there. But I remember two friends of mine went to the theater and saw it, and they came into school and were like man, we saw The Ring last night. You have to see it. And me having no idea what it was, didn't know what genre it was, had never heard the name before. Mm -hmm. And like, obviously they didn't want to tell me too much about it and spoil it. Uh, So I remember, like I didn't catch it in the theater. It wasn't until it was on like DVD. I think I rented it from Blockbuster or something with a different friend who also hadn't seen it. And I went in, again, knowing basically nothing. This was like early days of the internet for me. Like going in thinking that it was some had something to do with a like a ring that you would wear or something <laughs> like having no idea and then watching it and just being blown away like mm-hmm. one of those movies where I watched it knowing nothing and it just like what a perfect way to watch that movie. Yeah, I mean, I that's when I can remember seeing the theater. I saw that and the Grudge in the theater. Yeah, because the Grudge was oh four. I think this was a the ring. The ring was oh two. Okay, and, uh, Grudge oh four. So I would have been. Uh, like, depending on what time of the year it came out, either a uh, junior or senior in high school mm-hmm. when The Ring came out. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, to briefly retell my version of seeing The Grudge for the first time. Actually, I have only seen the American one one time. Same here. And it's not necessarily, like, I'm not going to say it's because, like, I'm afraid to watch it again. But, I mean, there's plenty of movies that I don't get around to rewatching. And, you know, there's maybe a little bit in the back of my head like, ah, I could watch something that uh, I don't have as negative a memory of. <laughs> same. Basically. Same. <laughs> as that movie. But um, I have been meaning to rewatch it for a while. Uh, maybe I maybe I will, like, sometime soon, having just seen the originals for, like, comparison's sake. But, uh, yeah, so you said 04. I was at the Kubert School at the time. I remember... Um, it was in uh, second year of the Kubert School, so it must have been like late in 04 that it came out, because I remember being in our house that I shared with uh, Scott Ewan and Chris Yezik, and a whole bunch of us got together, went out to see the movie, and um, yeah, I just remember it being pretty effective in the theater, mm-hmm. and then we all drove back to our house, and everybody else was going to like go out to eat or they were going to like go to a party or something. And I was either not interested or wasn't hungry or was like a stick in the mud. I don't remember, but for whatever reason I got dropped off back at our house and everybody went on elsewhere. And it was the like kind of the last time I can specifically remember doing that thing where you like open up the door, walk (laughs) in the house and you're like reaching around the corner for the light switch to turn the lights on before you like enter the room. (laughs) And then knowing like, all right, the next light switch is over there and I have to pass through some shadows. So you like run to the next light switch. (laughs) 
and just the whole time envisioning like the the image that stuck out to me was it doesn't really happen in the Japanese version that we watched for this show but in the American version there's a scene where like a character looks up or they don't see what's happening but like the black hair is like crawling across the ceiling <laughs> like covering the ceiling mm-hmm. that's like the image that combined with just like the wide eyes and the ah yeah. sound like that, those are the things those are like the triggers that I remember personally There's one particular for me where I which we'll get into when we talk about, but it seems like, from what I remember, the the two houses are the same in both movies, layout wise. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's one scene in the remake where it's like the creepy head like appears at like the top of the stairwell, mm-hmm. and it like just the head like starts to like almost like it looks like it floats down in the shadow, and I like I feel like that, and it's later in the movie. It's towards the end, and I can just remember that. That like one visual I could still see when I close my eyes, and again too, yeah, the the, the sound and everything, just uh, yeah, that one certainly struck a chord. Yeah, for whatever reason, uh, I'm with you. I had the same reaction, like you said, when you got dropped off back at the house, but with um, of all things, the Blair Witch Project, I can remember going to see that, and then like. Going, being back at my house and like having to go down into the basement and being like, am I really creeped out by my own basement right now because of that movie? And yeah, kind of. <laughs> am was. I going to find someone standing in the corner right, staring I mean, at the wall? Because it was like a creepy stone basement too, and I was like, am I really? Is that where I'm at right now? And yeah, sure enough, I was. So <laughs> yeah, I don't remember having an issue with that when I saw that in the theater, like in the middle of the day with my sister and my grandmother. <laughs> I love that you can like just remember every person you went to the movies with (laughs) and i just remember uh after the movie was over my grandmother's like only reaction was uh she was like because it was like you know that was one of the first if not the first popular found footage movie which Mm -hmm. was like a weird idea at the time Mm -hmm. and i remember her saying like i kept waiting for the actual movie to start (laughs) as though like she thought that it was just going to open with some like home video footage and then become a real movie but it never happened nice yeah. yeah, that was definitely one where people were like, oh, no, it's real. Like, that's Oh, yeah, real. for oh, sure. Yeah. No one was like yeah. ready for I mean, for they it marketed be. it like that. And oh, yeah. I think if you read into it, like the studio specifically kept the uh, the three actors from like doing press for the movie or anything mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. like people would, you know, be able to say like, oh, they haven't been out there. I think they are dead or whatever. Yeah. But, that was a good idea. But, mm-hmm. Man, horror. It also had like an early viral marketing campaign on the internet. I think I must have listened to like an episode of uh, Mick Garris's postmortem podcast with uh, Eduardo Sanchez or something talking about it, but he's the director. Mm, mm-hmm. But yeah, they marketed that movie well. How about that Book of Shadows, though? Ooh. Yikes. Saw it once on DVD. Uh, yeah. Never never felt the need to watch that Jeez. one again, and not because I was afraid of it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because <laughs> it is terrible. <laughs> So in general, I mean, I've also, I've seen the American remake of The Eye, which had uh, Jessica Alba. Mm-hmm. I remember th- that being terrible. Uh, I saw the American remake of Dark Water. Which I was just going to say, I knew Dark Water was one of them too. I saw that one. I remember thinking that it was kind of boring. Um, there might have been one or two others as well, but uh, just in general... Like, what are your feelings or like, how, like, what are your memories of, of J horror? And like, 
outside of like one or two that you were maybe into like were you a fan was it did you like the aesthetic personally or I, I was can, it just a passing fad i think it was a passing fad i mean i was into it i've been you know was very like 2002 i was 20 you know i was totally just like back in those days like regularly going to Newberry comics and just buying DVDs and going to the movies all the time and kind of like seeing a little bit of everything like, you know, pre uh, Netflix, I would just buy movies to see them, you know, <laughs> rather than. Yep. Uh, I remember those days. Yeah. Like plenty of times throughout the years, like off and on having cable, like that was never a thing. Like I could, wouldn't even just wait for something to come on. I was either like renting or just flat out buying. But yeah, from what I remember, it's kind of just like passing fad. I mean, I can remember really being into the ring, um, scared shitless of the grudge. But then like from there, I think like Pulse was something I saw in the theater. I'm not even sure if I've seen Dark Water. You know, it's kind of like one of those things. I I get um, around that time, I think I, you know, like uh, mainstream, I guess, or like everybody's version of horror it was... More and more felt like it was just jump scares at all times, you know. I feel just... like that's around the time period where we were on the verge of torture porn in the U.S. as well. Oh, yeah, Hostel had I remember taken off. Saw came out, had to have been right around the same time as The Ring because I also remember seeing that in the theater when I was living in the house that we had second year at the Kubert School. So it would have been the same time as The Grudge. Uh, yeah, Actually, Saw was 04. And I mean that kind of got that started, and then you yeah. had like touristas and hostel. I remember hostel I saw in the theater, all that other stuff. So yeah, it's a weird time. Yeah, like, creepy little girls with long black hair and white dresses, and then uh, mm-hmm. splatter yeah. punk. <laughs> yeah, and I just remember I could just so many things, just kind of being sick of all the jump scares. I've never been like a huge like ghost movie kind of thing anyway, so. But it's just kind of back to like being like, give me the monster movies. Yeah. It has been and will continue to be like my number one yeah. subgenre. So, not that anybody would be surprised to hear this, but yeah, big monster guy as well mm-hmm. on my part. But then I'm, I'm also into the ghost stuff. And I don't know if it has something to do with being into Ghostbusters so much when I was a kid or something, but I like, I get, I get a little bit of that same feeling from like a really inventive ghost movie that I do from a a monster movie with like a unique creature or like a Mm -hmm. alien, like outer space kind of thing where it's just that feeling of excitement that I get from not knowing where the story could possibly go next. Like in something like the grudge where, you know, throughout the movie you're seeing like uh, hands coming out of the back of people's heads Mm -hmm. while they're in the shower and like hair crawling up the ceiling. It's like, once you see that kind of stuff, the doors are wide open and anything could happen. And that's, I think, what I get a thrill out of watching those kind of movies is just sitting there and thinking, like, what the fuck is going to happen to these poor people <laughs> next <laughs> in this movie? And how in God's name could they stop it? Mm-hmm. And that's, like, the thrill that I feel like is always missing for me when it comes to, like, slasher films or I know a lot of people are way into or like mostly afraid of uh, like home invasion style movies Mm. because it could really happen. Mm -hmm. But me, I'm more like, okay, well, yes, a guy could break into my house and stab me, but 
like if he was a ghost, <laughs> like that would be so much more terrifying because oh, yeah. you just like the human brain wouldn't be able to comprehend what it's capable of and how to stop it. Yeah. There's no rules. And so like I get into the ghost stuff as well. More often than not, it's not very well done, but something like Poltergeist or one of my yeah. more recent favorites that I discovered within the last decade is The Entity, which I really like. I don't know that one. It's based on a quote-unquote true story about a, a ghost, a woman who was haunted by a ghost that would rape her. And, Ooh. you know, it's kind of fucked up, but just that idea of imagine if you were being raped by something invisible that you couldn't touch. Like, right. how would you, like, that would be the most terrifying thing in the world. Mm. That could be my problem, really, is just there's so much bad ghost movies out there that, yeah. Um, you know, you know what I like to say. I've seen the best, so I got to watch That's the rest. True. That's true. <laughs> so I should really should plenty of bad like, to go with the good. I feel like I should do like a dive now to like early two thousands and like fill in some gaps and see because like we were saying off air, like really like the Conjuring movies. Mm-hmm. So could just be a um. I really have just been burned too many times. Yeah, but. But yeah, when it comes to like the J-horror thing, I do think that it was exciting and interesting and just very quickly became repetitive yeah. and dull. Stagnated. Yeah, but... Um, but I never got I into Saws either. I saw the first Saw. I might have, seen, might have seen the sequel, but yeah, I've seen a Hostel, the first <laughs> one. I know, but. Yeah. I liked the first Saw a lot back when it first came out and very quickly felt that they jumped the shark with the second one. Yeah. I think, I believe the second one was like they just grabbed any, some script off the shelf and put it through like a single pass from some writer to make it into a Saw movie. Yeah. Well, that was definitely the time when they were pumping those things out. Oh, like yeah. pretty much a Saw movie was coming out every Halloween, the I think. The first one is pretty clever though, so. Yeah. I mean, it, it's another case where it's like something I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And it was a style that very quickly became passe and obnoxious. But the first time you see it, it's like, oh, that's different. Yeah. So I don't know. I st- I watch it now and it doesn't work as well for me as it used to. But I still give it credit for being one of the first. Oh, yeah. But we covered a lot of ground there. You yeah. want to just uh, go ahead and jump into our first movie? Please. Uh, so I'll go ahead and say I've already name dropped a couple of these things, but for anybody who actually might know the pronunciations for people's names, character names, movie titles in this episode, forgive me, but mm. <laughs> I think this one's pretty ubiquitous. We're beginning with 1998's Ringu. couple years since I've seen The Ring, but I've seen it a few times over the years, and I remember, you know, the broad strokes of it pretty well. I was, I guess, a little surprised that, to my recollection, the American remake is pretty close to 
Yeah. The story and the visual style of mm-hmm. Ringu. From what I remember, I think I've only seen The Ring once. Oh, yeah. Like, just all those years ago in the theater. I mean, it's kind of like, I can remember that initial shot within the first five minutes where, like, the, someone opens the the closet door and the oh, one yeah. girl's dead and, like, her, like, neck does, like, a, a thing, you know, and it's, like... And her, like, jaw is all stretched out something and her like, face yeah. is, like, distorted. That was always, like, the thing for that that sticks out and that's pretty much in the original, too. Not mm-hmm. to the, um... Not to the extreme, but... From what I remember, it's pretty... Well, it's two things. From what I remember, it's pretty spot on from what I can actually remember. And also, like, not not a lot of killing in that this movie. No. It's kind of, I guess, surprising, but not in a bad way either. Just I mean, a lot of ghost stories, regardless of if it's a Japanese film or an American film, it's, you know, it's all about somebody becomes aware that something is going on and then they spend the rest of the movie. It's almost like a Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. It's like a procedural where they're trying to solve a, a mystery to, Mm -hmm. to stop like the haunting. Yeah. It's like a procedural detective story. Yeah. Let me go ahead and run through this really fast. I thought it was kind of interesting. So, you know, obviously seeing the ring before seeing the grudge, hadn't seen one missed call, but watching that one, watching all three of these back to back to back, you notice a lot of similarities they really are like even in addition to like the creepy girls uh, all kind of looking the same in all three movies and everything they're all based on like a specific kind of japanese folklore oh and it's it's not that unique compared to like the western idea of like what a ghost is again thinking about just like any dozens of movies that have were produced in the United States that had nothing to do with Japan where you know there's a tortured soul who's like communicating with somebody who's still alive to like find their body or uh you know write <laughs> the wrong that happened to them before they can move on or whatever but uh, I pulled all this off of Wikipedia and I just thought it was pretty interesting so according to tr- traditional Japanese beliefs all humans have a spirit or soul called a reikon when a person dies, the Raycon leaves the body and enters a form of purgatory where it awaits the proper funeral and post-funeral rites to be performed so that it may join its ancestors. If this is done correctly, the Raycon is believed to be a protector of the living family and to return yearly in August during the Oban Festival to receive thanks. Oh. And even that reminds me a little bit, keeping in mind I'm not a worldly person and everything I know about... Anything I've pretty much learned from movies, but it makes me think of Coco a little bit, which is a completely different culture. Mm -hmm. But the idea of like, you know, they have the Day of the Dead and they, you know, pay their respects and remember the dead like once a year or whatever, like that kind of rings bells for me there. For sure. Uh, If the person dies, however, in a sudden or violent manner, such as a murder or suicide, if the proper rites have not been performed or if they are influenced by powerful emotions, such as a a desire for revenge, love, jealousy, hatred, or sorrow, the Raycon is believed to transform into a yure, which can then bridge the gap back to the physical world. Even innocuous thoughts can cause death to become disturbed. Once a thought enters the mind of a dying person, their yure will come back to complete the action last thought of before returning to the cycle of reincarnation. So the idea basically being like, if you're murdered, then the last thing your soul is thinking of is the person who murdered you and how you want revenge. And then that creates a restless spirit. Mm. You can't move on. 
you know, again, like this is just explaining the basic idea that everybody probably already understands from films they've seen, but mm-hmm. uh, the yurei then exists on Earth until it can be laid to rest, either by performing the missing rituals or resolving the emotional conflict that still lies, uh, ties it to its physical plans. If the rituals are not completed or the conflict is left unresolved, the yurei will persist in its haunting. Um, so that kind of brings us to what we'll talk about a little bit in the grudge mm-hmm. where it's like that haunting just continues and will not go away until, you know, it's, it's resolved yeah. the way that it should have been. I guess that's the ring too, though. Yeah. I mean, it's kind yeah. of all of them when you really get down to it, which is why I thought it was interesting reading about this, that it, like all of these movies are basically based on the same concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole part in on Wikipedia about the appearance, white clothing, Yure are usually dressed in white, signifying the white burial kimono used in Edo uh, uh, funeral rituals. And in the Shinto region, white is a color of ritual purity, traditionally reserved for priests and the dead. That's where the white drapery comes from. Uh, Black hair. The hair of the Yure is often long, black, and disheveled, which people say is like a callback to old, like, um, like plays where everybody wore wigs. So, like, just, you know. These, these kind of visuals that always reoccur. And then this part I thought was pretty interesting. While all Japanese ghosts are called yurei, within that category there are several specific types of phantom classified mainly by the manner they died or their reason to returning to, uh, for returning to Earth. Uh, one of them is the Ubume, a mother ghost who died in childbirth or died leaving young children behind. This yurei returns to care for the children, often bringing them sweets. Did you ever see the movie Mama? No. With, I think, Jessica Chastain? I thought it was interesting reading that because that's basically what that movie is. It's about, like, a ghost in the forest and uh, these two children end up abandoned in the woods. So the ghost is, like, raising them. Oh. And they, they basically become feral children because they're living in the woods with just, like, a non-speaking phantom. <laughs> that Like, they're so young that mm-hmm. they don't understand that she's scary. So they grow up just, like, loving this ghost. And then when they're discovered and, like, taken to a foster home, Mama comes after them. Uh, Like, cool idea. And this could be, like, kind of where that comes from. sure. Uh, Specific to the movies we're talking about on this episode, it seems like the Onryo, a.k.a. Vengeful Ghost, is the, uh, the type that most of these movies deal with who come back from purgatory for a wrong done to them during their lifetime. It's a pretty good band name, Vengeful Ghost. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and then uh earthbound spirit uh they actually mention juan in the uh, the mm. write-up for this one similar to the uh this is a tough one uh funa yure they these spirits do not seek to fulfill an exact purpose and are instead bound to a specific place or situation famous examples of this include juan because it's all revolving around the house mm-hmm so, okay, it's pretty good research, Mills. Uh, and the easiest way to exercise a URA is to help fulfill its purpose. Again, it's just like, uh, is it Stigmata? Is that the movie with Kevin Bacon where like he's like being haunted and he has to like dig this pit in the bottom of his house to find the person buried there? To, like, Stir of the Echoes, I think. Stir of Echoes, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a ton mm-hmm. of stories like that. So, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like the. It's right out of the ring, too. It's like they think they can break the curse if they just give her a proper burial. Mm-hmm. So, 
Mm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, a little bit is. of background for, I mean, it's going to, that's going to tie to everything we're talking about yeah. this episode. Good stuff, Mills. So, uh, thank you, Wikipedia. Oh. <laughs> I uh, thought this movie's got pretty good um, production quality. Yeah, for 1.2 million. Yeah, for sure. I thought it looked good. I don't know if my friend and yours, I'm going to say Hiroyuki Sonata is a huge. That's how I would pronounce it. Is a huge actor or not, but I've always liked him. I think I first saw him in The Last Samurai, Mm -hmm. where he's complete badass. He was just recently Scorpion in Mortal Kombat. Little role in Avengers Endgame. Little role in Avengers. I mean, he's popped up here and there. So I was actually pretty pumped to see him in this. Yeah. Yeah, back when I first saw this, I obviously wouldn't have known who he was because he hadn't broken through into the U.S. yet. But yeah, he's like the one actor out of all the actors in all the movies we're talking about that has like come to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Not that that should necessarily be everybody's goal, but he's done it. Right. Uh, At least a recognizable face. Yeah, so he's in The Last Samurai, which you mentioned. He's in uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't remember him in this, but I've also only seen it once, and it's the worst of the three. He's in Rush Hour 3. <laughs> oh, okay. He's in Speed Racer. I don't remember him in that either. I never saw all of Speed Racer. Oh, really? I went. I saw it as the only time I saw it was at a drive-in double feature with Iron Man first and then Speed Racer. Hmm. The people I were with, everyone was starting to fall asleep, so we left like halfway through Speed Racer. One, do me a favor and write down Speed Racer for a future episode. Deal, deal. <laughs> Two, I've actually never been to a drive-in theater. We'll see James Miller. <laughs> Just never happened. Are there any in Maryland? Uh, I've been told there are, but I've never actually seen one. Oh, boy, we're going to fix that in the good old state of Massachusetts. I know Brian's wife, Kim, has been to them before and is a fan, and we've always talked about going, but we never have. There are, I know for sure, the one I've been to, and I've heard there's one on Cape Cod, so looks like we might just have to uh, make a plan, Stan, one (laughs) of these days. Uh, you know, I'm game to watch a movie, regardless mm. of the circumstances. <laughs> uh, Hiroki Sonata, also in The Wolverine, 47 Ronin, uh, Life, the space movie with Ryan Reynolds and Jake oh, Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yep, yep. Not the comedy with uh, Eddie Murphy Eddie and Martin Murphy. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. That's uh, what I thought of. Uh, Avengers Endgame and Mortal Kombat, and he was also in Army of the Dead, the Zack Snyder, HBO Max movie. Mm. Zombie heist in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he's the man, but yeah. excited to see him in here. Mm-hmm. For anybody who doesn't know, basic idea here is that uh, there's a videotape with some creepy imagery on it. If you watch it after the video is over, uh, your phone will ring. And it wasn't exactly the same in this version. Like in, in the United States version, the phone rings, you pick it up and you hear a voice go, seven days. <laughs> and then you have seven days before you will die. Mm-hmm. This one, it's like you just kind of hear noises on the phone. And even when Hiroyuki Sonata's character watches the tape, he says the phone never rang. So, I mean, the rules are a little looser here, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's basically the premise. And uh, the so the main character, uh, she's a reporter and her niece dies from the videotape. So she dies under mysterious circumstances. So since she's a reporter, she starts looking into like, what could have caused her to die and how, and she like discovers the tape, 
doesn't really buy into it at first, but then she watches it and very quickly realizes, oh shit, I've just condemned myself to die. Millsy. Now I have seven days to solve the mystery of how to stop this curse, otherwise I'm dead. Same exact scenario, but you're the reporter. Are you watching that video? Uh... Uh, it's tough to say because it's like she's invested because it's a family member who died. Well, okay, we'll say it's your one of your family members dies and you're a reporter. It's your depending same... on the family member. I don't think I'd really care, but um... <laughs> okay, okay. But you're a reporter, so you kind of have to report about it. I mean, it's it's so tough to say because that's a lot of if your family member died. If I was a reporter, like I don't have <laughs> that shit in me. Uh, I just read Wikipedia and repeat it on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have that curiosity. I mean, just even even not taking all that into account, like just knowing my kind of personality, I'm not like super superstitious or anything, but I think I generally have the opinion of like, why risk it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I'd be so mad if I did watch it and then it did end up happening. Yeah. Like I wouldn't even, I don't even know how much of the fear would take over. It just just general rage at myself for doing it. Mm-hmm. Like dummy, you should have never done that. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where like, you know, you get cocky about something and then all like as soon as you do it, you're in over your head. Yeah. It's like, oh and then you try to do everything to like erase that you've just done the stupid thing and it's no no putting the cork back on that bottle. Yeah. So I don't know. It's tough to say in that situation whether or not I would, but my instincts tell me no, I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> okay. All right. I like it. Well, anyway, she does. Yeah. And then, I mean, the real fucking kicker is, so she shows it to her ex-husband, who I never really got why she brings him into the whole situation. He's like a teacher. She calls him for some reason. I don't think they even really kind of give you any reason why. Yeah, it's not like, hey, you're a videologist or something, or videographer. Like, would you watch this and give me your opinion or something? But so he watches it. So he's cursed like 24 hours after her. And then a couple days into her, like, ticking clock, uh, her young son watches the video. Which is a great scene because she, like, freaks out because she opens the sliding door and he's there watching. He's sitting there with the last frames of the, the video playing. And then so she's like, well, even if it's not for me, I got to figure out a way to stop this curse to save my son. And so it's like good stakes. It's an interesting setup. The video itself is creepy. I don't think it's as creepy as the one in the American version. The one in the American version, to my recollection, is significantly longer uh, with like a lot more imagery of like flies and like fingernails being peeled off. Mm. This one was pretty simple, but I mean, you know, it does the trick, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I love all the setup and then it's pretty much just like a, you know, counting down every every time it's a new day, the the date comes up on screen and, you know, it's just like they're moving mm-hmm. ever closer towards hopefully solving the thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's like it's never boring. It it moves at a pretty good pace. Um the only thing I have to compare it to, of course, is the American version. Um I'm trying my best not to compare it too much, but my reaction was similar like they're very similar movies, um, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. I already liked the American one, so it's no surprise, but I really enjoyed this version as well. Yeah. I did too. Like I said, I was um, I watched this uh, second, and was like kind of impressed with like just the overall quality of it. Felt like a Hollywood kind of level production. Mm-hmm. It looks very good. I mean, yeah, it's it got that kind of... 
muted. It always looks like it's foggy and gray mm-hmm. outside kind of look. Um, yeah. I mean, I like the main actress. Both the leads are good. Mm-hmm. I will say this, kind, this is kind of with one missed call as well. Like, there is, like, part of me that just, like, finds the technological aspects of those, like, kind of goofy. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it it's so much part of the movie that, you know, it certainly doesn't ruin anything for me, but it's, like, you know, just that, like, a ghostly apparition comes through a cassette tape, you know? It's, like, yeah, you know, it's kind of, like... Yeah, I'm not even sure if there's, like, a really good excuse for why there's a video... There isn't. Yeah, I don't think there is. It just happens to be, you know, she's below this cabin that got a VCR. I mean, it's fine, but Mm -hmm. there will always be a little part of me that's just like, it's the same with Pulse. It's the same with One Miss Call. It's just like. Well, how funny or how interesting is it to think that like this movie, it would have been tough for it to come out just a couple years later because VHS was already on its way out. I mean, 1998. Mm -hmm. They were still kind of in there when they did the uh, the Japanese version, but the American version coming out in like 2000 or whatever, um, or was it 2002, you said? Mm-hmm. DVD was already well on the rise yeah. at that point. <laughs> I was I was full on DVD by like 2000. I got a DVD player in like somewhere in 99, 2000, 2001. Yeah, my first DVD player was in my PlayStation, which I got at the end of the year 2000, so... Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, everybody still knew what VHS was at that point. Like, yeah. you show a kid these days the ring and they might be a little confused. But Well, yeah, because the uh, ring remake is going to be like, wouldn't even be a flash drive. It would be like a Dropbox file. Well, that's or the something. thing is like, if you start to extrapolate the concept through technology, it's like, you know, that like if they made it these days, somebody would be uploading that video to YouTube and then it would mm-hmm. go viral and all of a sudden, you yeah. know. Uh, seven million people would be cursed right. in the first day or something. I mean, pretty much. It'd be like a TikTok now. Yeah. I mean, that enough. would wipe out the entire fucking population oh, God, these yeah. days. Yeah. <laughs> like, the only people who wouldn't die would be the people who, uh, like, don't have technology. I mean, that would kind of be an interesting premise, if you think about it. Yeah. Like a killer video on TikTok or, or Instagram <laughs> reel. Yeah, it's simultaneously interesting and makes me cringe. Right. <laughs> but I get your yeah. meaning. Yeah. But um the the one kind of big difference between this and the uh, the American one is that like that whole middle section like the explanation of mm-hmm. where the curse comes from is a little different. I don't have the American version real clear in my head, but I know it has something to do with like horses, like the mother loves horses and then these horses die and it like drives her insane or something. Because there's like a part on a ferry where like a horse kills itself by like <laughs> jumping off the boat into the propeller or something in the American version. <laughs> I don't even remember that part. This one I actually feel like is a little simpler and based more around concepts that are pre-existing that make it a little easier to swallow and more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Basically being that, uh, so Sadako is the name of the girl who's haunting people who's down in the well. Her mother... She had like uh, some kind of ESP and predicted that a volcano was going to erupt and everybody thought she was crazy. And then when it did erupt, they were like, oh, maybe there is something to this. So they uh, like took her into the city and did like this, um, this test with her in front of a crowd of people. And everybody thought that, you know, she succeeded in the test and like 
got all of the questions she shouldn't know the answers to right or whatever, like supposedly proving that she has ESP or telepathy or something like that. And then people immediately were like, this is bullshit. She's faking it. And then that's when you learn that, oh, I guess because she Sadako is her daughter, uh, she's had the ESP powers passed on to her, but they're like way stronger in her. And she has the ability to just kill a person by thinking about them dying. Mm, mm-hmm. And so like that one guy's like shouting at her mother at this like, you know, little show that they're doing. Sadako kills him on the spot. Yeah. She snuffs him out quick. Yeah. And then I guess I think it's her father is now like the mother ends up committing suicide and the father is like scared of Sadako and her powers. So he like knocks her over the head and dumps her down in a well and leaves her there. And Mm -hmm. then she slowly dies stuck at the bottom of the well over the course of seven days. And that's why the curse has seven days. Mm -hmm. And something else that's kind of funny is in, um, in the American version, I know they hit it over the head when you finally, they reveal what the ring is, which is like, as if you're down in the well and you look up, it's like the little rim of light that you can see around the like lid of the well. Right. And in this movie, they might show it once, but they never actually come right out and say, that's why it's called The Ring. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think that if I watched this movie, having no knowledge of the American version, hadn't seen it before, I would be questioning, why is it called The Ring? Yeah, they don't. I'm sure there's like a bit of dialogue in the remake about it. Oh, there definitely is. I I remember that, like them explaining it, because that's Mm -hmm. like how I ever knew like what the the title meant they don't even give you a taste of that in this one yeah like i think i would be thinking that it's because it's cyclical like if uh one like you know you you pass it on to the next person by showing it to them and that's how you like you know stop the curse from affecting you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which now also reminds me of the movie it follows where it's like you have sex with someone and now the ghost is passed on to them and the only way they can oh, yeah. stop the ghost from killing them is to have sex with somebody else. So it's like you're passing on the curse to somebody else and that's right. how the curse stays alive because the only way to stop the curse is to give into it and die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's 100% accurate. So I guess what we're saying is that in Hollywood and all uh, film studios across the world, there's very little originality left. There's no original idea. <laughs> Yeah, the one other thing I guess I can mention specifically about the film is that uh, I I was very excited to see the end of the movie where Sadako comes out of the television uh-huh. because it's like one of the great moments at the end of the American remake. And um, it's much simpler in this one. Uh-huh. You know, they don't go as heavy with like CG and whatnot. She's not like skipping around the room as though she's, you know, made out of television <laughs> static or whatever. Right. But um, it's still pretty fucking effective. It's pretty effective. <laughs> the, the The transition from like video to her coming out of the TV tube yep. is pretty good. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's one of those moments that like captured my imagination the first time I saw it in the American version. I still love it now. Is like, okay, you're watching this creepy video and there's a girl walking towards the camera. But then in that moment when she starts to come out of the television, if that was you, I feel like my heart would stop. Like I just would cease to be able to live because I wouldn't like be able to fathom how I could survive something Mm -hmm. like that. It's just a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, she scares people to death. So yeah. Uh, And I still love it. And it was just it was very cool to see because I had never seen this version to see the origin of it. 
Yeah. And like I say, it's maybe like a little more quaint and simple, but it's still fucking effective. Yeah, that's like, I applaud it for that, actually. Yeah. It's like the one real, like, effect in the movie, too. I mean, I'm sure there's other stuff that they did with CG, but it's like the one, like, wow moment Mm -hmm. in the movie, and it comes right at the end, and... Like, the best thing is you think the curse is, like, done away with because uh, they found the body and um, the the lead actress didn't die, who she should have died first. But then all of a sudden, Sadako comes out of the TV to kill her ex-husband. And it's like, well, wait, I thought we solved this thing. Right. And then you realize, oh, shit, no. It was, like, coincidence that uh, they mm-hmm. did, like, the, the, the ex-wife did undo the curse for her, but he mm-hmm. didn't for him. It's just, it's it's a great ending. It, can we say that I can remember being creeped out by in the remake when she's in the well and finds the dead body, and it's unnerving in this one as well, especially because there's a shot where she like brushes her hair away oh. and then it pulls away from the skull, mm-hmm. and the skull's got like pus filled eyes. Yeah, and it'll, it'll come up in one missed call, but. This episode tonight is just full of decaying goopy people, <laughs> goopy decaying people with their hair just falling yeah. off. Yeah, I mean, kind of speaking to what I was saying before about like, oh, I just uh, I wouldn't do it when it comes to watching the videotape. Like, <laughs> they go down in that well specifically to find the body, so it's not like when she discovers the skeleton down there, it's like, oh my god, there's a skeleton down here. Like, they specifically went down there to find it, mm-hmm. to find her body. Uh, and I just can't imagine a world in which I would willingly be like, yeah, I'm going to climb down in this well where I know there's a corpse. Like, I don't even want to be near that water. <laughs> Millsy, you already you already watched that damn tape, and then you got me to watch it the next day, so we're going in the goddamn <laughs> well, looking for that body, pulling her hair off. Oof. I'll send you out. down in the well. I'll pull the buckets up. Well, you're going to have to go back, you know, at some point you'll get tired, and i got to come up there. <laughs> switch turns. We're switching. Now, at that point, we just accept our fate. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, then, um, I don't remember this. Like, So, I, I think it's different in the American version. So, basically, the whole idea is you are cursed. You have seven days to share the video with someone else. Mm-hmm. Now, in the American version, what that means is that at the end of the movie, to keep her son from dying, Naomi Watts as the lead character, she like gets two VCRs, puts a blank tape in one, puts the the ring tape in the other, and like literally holds her son's hand and makes his finger push like the record button to make a duplicate copy. And it's insinuated, I believe, in that movie that all you have to do is make a copy. Like you have to make the video more accessible. And that undoes the curse. In this one, it's more fucked up. Did you get the meaning of the ending of this movie? That she was like putting, she was going to get her dad to watch it? Yeah. Like the yeah. idea in the original, the uh, in Ringu, is that you actually have to show it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so she has her son make a copy and then they're going to drive to her elderly father's house. And I guess her thinking is, he's old, he's lived his life, so even though I love him, like, if we have to pass it on to somebody, might as well pass it on to somebody who's not going to be alive all that much longer. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, do it for uh, whatever his name is. Oh, the kid, yeah. yeah. Um, y- y- Yoichi? 
Yoichi? Probably Yoichi. Yeah, sounds fucked up. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's so good, and it's a, it is, like, a cool concept, because it's, you know, again, part of me is just, like, why does this ghost care about, you know, duplicate tapes being made? But it's it just, it works, you mm-hmm. know? So, I'm Yeah, I mean... It. I don't know if it's explicitly explained in the movie. I could I could rationalize reasons for it, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I it doesn't bother me that I'm yeah. not 100 percent sure why it's all happening. It's just a cool idea, mm-hmm. sign of sign of the times, which I like too. So yeah, uh, this was based on the novel of the same name by an author named Koji Suzuki. And uh, the writer of the novel was inspired by his favorite horror movie when he wrote it, Poltergeist, (laughs) which is kind of cool. Poltergeist, great movie. Yeah. Uh, So this movie came out in 98. It was the book was previously adapted in 1995 as a made for TV movie in Japan, which I think is kind of interesting. Upon its release in 1998, Ringu became the highest grossing horror film ever in Japan. I did not read anywhere if that record had been broken yet. Mm-hmm. This I thought was kind of weird. So, uh, Ringu was released on the same day as its sequel in Japan. The sequel is called Raisin, uh, which stands for the Spiral. And so they produced them simultaneously with some of the same cast and different directors and writers. And they did this in hopes of increasing revenue for both the films. I'm not exactly sure what the logic is there. Yeah. But. Ringu achieved great success and the spiral floundered and was quickly forgotten. So the following year in 1999, they basically said, ah, forget spiral ever happened. And they wrote an original sequel called Ringu 2 and released it as like, yeah, that other movie isn't really the sequel. This is the sequel. That is a weird tactic. (laughs) Yeah. And Ringu 2 was way more successful than spiral was. There is a prequel titled Ringu Zero Birthday that was released in 2000 and another sequel titled Sadako that was released all the way in 2019. Oh. And then (laughs) I guess Ringu and the ring in general just became such a phenomenon that they went back to Spiral, the one that was kind of the redheaded stepchild that they forgot about. And they made two sequels to that in 2012 and 2013 called Sadako 3D and Sadako 3D2, which continue the story from that movie. (laughs) Sadako 3D2. (laughs) I'm actually really interested in seeing Spiral because I read that the writer, he originally wanted it to be like a science fiction novel. But as he was writing Ringu, he he felt that the supernatural stuff was stronger, so he left all the sci-fi out. But then apparently when he wrote the sequel, Spiral, he like brought some sci-fi back into it. So I'd be very curious to see what a sci-fi sequel to The Ring would uh, be. Hopefully not here. something like Hellraiser for Bloodline, where it's just Ooh, like, I hope not. we're on a space station that's the puzzle box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're on a space station that's actually one giant VHS tape. <laughs> oh, you imagine? <laughs> Uh, and then in, uh, 2016, there was a crossover film called Sadako versus Kayako, Kayako being the villain in The Grudge. Oh. And so it's literally like Freddy versus Jason, but (laughs) Sadako and Kayako, which is... I have to find a trifecta for that one. (laughs) Which is amazing. Hmm. The international success of Ringu sparked a revival in Japanese horror filmmaking. We've already kind of talked about this, but 
you know, brought it gave films like Pulse, Jew on the Grudge, Dark Water, and Uzumaki, based on the Junji oh, Ito comic. Okay. okay, brought all those into being. I have seen the Uzumaki movie. I don't remember it being great, but uh, I'd kind of like to revisit that one as well. Uh, remade in America as The Ring in 2002, directed by Gore Verbinski, which might have been his first movie. Mm, I think he was. I think he was like a uh, music video director kind of guy. Um, that's kind of the style he has anyway. And starring Naomi Watts. Uh, budget for Ringu was $1.2 million and the box office in Japan was nineteen point four. Well, that'll work. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I thought this was interesting too. Um, the director, Hideo Nakata, he came back to direct Ringu 2. He also directed the Japanese uh, version of Darkwater. And then uh, he came to the United States and directed The Ring 2, the sequel to the Gore Verbinski movie. Oh, yeah. nice. I saw The Ring 2. I don't remember much about it. I remember being kind of disappointed by it. But again, I kind of, I'm in the mood to revisit all this shit right now because of I us doing that. this episode. Yeah, so boy. I'd kind of like to rewatch it. I could dig so. it. Uh, that's all I got for The Ring. Ringu, oh, sorry. Let's keep it, keep it moving. All right. Coming uh, four years later in 2002, we have Jew on the Grudge. For some reason, some people tell you it's 2004. Uh, yeah, Amazon will tell you that when you try and watch it there. Well, I've seen <laughs> a couple different places as 04 for some reason. Yeah, I wonder if it has anything to do with the kind of mixed up timeline of the Grudge movies. Funny mm-hmm. thing is that Juwan the Grudge is not the first Juwan film. Right. It's actually the third. So there was Juwan the Curse and Juwan the Curse 2 which were both direct-to-video films released in the year 2000. And then they did Jew on the Grudge, which is this one, which got a theatrical release in 2002, which then had a sequel, Jew on the Grudge 2, in 2003. And then there were two more movies, uh, both released in 2009, one called Jew on Black Ghost and one called Jew on White Ghost. Oh. I don't know what any of these movies have to do with one another, but it almost sounds like three different like duos of films rather than a six-part franchise. But yeah, right. I don't know. The plot of this one is not as easy to summarize as The Ring. Yeah, good luck. I don't remember, because again, I haven't seen it since the theater back in the early 2000s. I don't remember the the plot of the American one all that well, but... This is like 
what if Quentin Tarantino circa Pulp Fiction directed a haunting movie? Right. <laughs> because there is one like kind of linear plot line, but they dissect it into like eight different events focusing mm-hmm. on different characters and show them almost completely out of order. Oh, yeah. I will preface with saying I like it, but it's a mess when yeah. it comes to the timeline. Mm-hmm. It's like lacking a main character, too. Yeah, because uh, everybody dies, <laughs> pretty yeah. much. But they're all just like, there's not a lot of crossover. Where I know, Again, I'm the same. I don't remember a ton from the remake, but it's like Sarah Michelle Gellar throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, read, I reread the plot synopsis for the American version, and it sounds like, from what I was reading, it is kind of non-linear like this version but they didn't like if this one had like eight different mini stories the american one sounds like it only has four or five and sir michelle geller does remain the main character so they kind of like substitute her in to mm-hmm. one or two of the other stories to bring her back in the end and instead of just having everybody die <laughs> yeah i don't watching it didn't feel like it was like necessary to have it non-linear no you know, so basically the movie starts and uh, what I guess you're led to believe is the main character. Uh, she's a welfare worker named Rika. Um, she's she's like a volunteer. She's asked by one of her superiors to go check on an old woman who like I guess it's a fa- it's, she's going to check on the whole family. But there's an older woman living there. So she goes and she like knocks on the door. Nobody answers. So she like the doors open. She walks in. And she finds this elderly woman, and the house is kind of a mess. And then she goes, like, cleaning up the house and finds a young boy upstairs. And then it's like, there's a little bit of an investigation. Turns out that the family that lives there doesn't have a son, and nobody knows what happened to the parents. And then she sees a ghost, like, killing the grandmother. And then all of a sudden it cuts to, like, oh, Now we're going to follow somebody she knows. And then we're going to cut to like some high school girls who have no connection to anything seemingly for a while. And then we're going to cut back in time and see the high school girl's father. Like Mm -hmm. when she was a little girl and it's basically like a, an anthology of stories of if you go into or near this house, you're going to die and it's going to suck. Right. And then you're going to haunt yourself and wherever you end up. Yep. Which I like. I like that premise. It just, it is messy with the, the way they lay out the story in this. Yeah. I wonder if they were concerned if it was, because it being nonlinear, like when one of the stories kind of comes to a close and then it, like the screen goes black and it says a, another character's name and then you're introduced to that character. It's like, I guess there's a feeling of like, Oh, I'm intrigued. Now I have to like pay attention and see how this new character fits in. If it was done linear style, then it's just like, you would know who the next character is. And like, you just, you'd watch someone die, then move on to the next one, then move on I to mean, the next yeah, one. Certainly there'd be, they, I, did, I, it, they did it for a reason. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm guessing that's why they did it. But yeah, after like the fourth or fifth time I was sitting there like, how many more of these are there? So like, I'm with you. Like, I like the premise. I like the general vibe of the movie, but it, it does feel a little tedious at some point. I just resign myself to probably halfway through, like 
I'm just going to, I could see what's happening and I'm just going to take it for what it is. And I'll probably just try to read about it <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Cause I actually do like a lot. I watched this last and was like excited to like face your fears. Pretty much like not exactly <laughs> revisit my, you know, most feared movie, but am in a certain way. And I don't think it has the production quality of the ring where, yeah. Or Ringu, rather. But I still did like it. And I find, I think it's um, it's got, like, scares that I enjoy where it'll just be like, you know, a character will just be walking through a room. And just for the quickest second in the corner of the room, you'll see <laughs> creepy little kids just, like, sitting in the corner. Then yeah. she turns and he's gone. Or, you know, some, you know somebody's in the shower and she's shampooing her hair and there just happens to be another ghostly hand back there. Like, mm-hmm. those kind of things. That, and they're not played as like the traditional shitty jump scares like you see in so many american movies yeah they're a version of a jump scare but something that i love about this style of movie even more than like the jump scare and like that kind of stuff is cool it's like oh over her shoulder like out of focus there's a kid and Mm -hmm. then as she turns around the kid like walks out of the room and it's like oh that's fucking creepy but what i like more is the sustained dread inducing scenes Mm. like a key example is what we already gushed about which is the end of the ring when sadako comes out of the tv and the guy just doesn't know what the fuck to do with himself and Mm -hmm. she just like slowly walks towards him and then he dies of fright Mm -hmm. and same thing in this like i mean the the end scene similar to the ring is like that girl is crawling down the stairs you see every step and the main character is so scared that she just like can't fucking summon mm-hmm. the strength to get up and move. And it's just lingering on this girl. Yeah. And like in in both versions, I guess, it's like an actual actress. It's not like they did some crazy CG to her, but like she's just like painted white with wide eyes and that dangly hair. Mm-hmm. And she's just slowly crawling towards the viewer and it's fucking yeah effective <laughs> yeah i love kid. that stuff yeah me too and the, the little kid's just got the straight all that white makeup and he's got like some eyeliner but he plays it creepy they throw some cat noises in there those weird croaks and groans yeah and whoever it, came like, up with that is yeah, brilliant so that like ah oh, like yeah. it's so simple but oh and it's like i like how you said too because it's like a version of a jump scare but to me it's like it's like a blink and you miss it scare where, you know, all the American movies, they'll throw in, like, that stabbing noise sound yeah. that is, like, forcing you to jump. Where this, they don't do that. It's really just, you just think you're just watching another scene as a naked kid walks by in the background, like, yeah. or, you know, he's, in, yeah. he's like, they took the, the camera angle changes and he's just, like, squatting on the bed while the girl's <laughs> trying to sleep. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the best ones of these three movies is in um, One Missed Call when they're in the apartment and they're like, there's that cupboard kind of up on the wall and you mm, see the hands mm-hmm. start to come out of the cupboard and the face is slowly coming out of the darkness before she turns around and sees it. Yep. But um, yeah, like a typical American style jump scare is like someone's walking down an alley cause they're afraid of something. And then a cat jumps out of a trash can and you hear like the, and like the person right. jumps or like uh, someone's creeping through a scary house and then their friend just walks up and slaps their hand on their shoulder like, hey, what's up? And the person freaks out like this is it. it's a version, but it's different. 
It's like, yeah. it's amazing the way that they can hide something in the frame so you mm-hmm. don't see it immediately. Oh, but yeah. then when you do see it, you're just like, oh, how long has that been yeah. there? Right. Just, <laughs> oh, God, no. Yeah. yeah. They do it so well. They do. And that is the shit that gets to me more than like the common jump scare. So Same. Totally. Yeah. Like the, the common stuff just pisses me off where this is like, this is legitimately unnerving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it feels like there's a little bit of artistry to it. Oh yeah. Like they had to no, hide there. something and uh what like misdirect the viewer until mm-hmm. like they want you to see it like cuz you know if there's a character in the foreground on the right hand side of the screen you're going to immediately look at their face but then if they linger on that shot long enough your eyes are going to wander and then you're going to see mm-hmm. little kids somewhere or like yeah. a head hanging from the ceiling exactly. or something. Like yeah. the lazy the lazy scares are just they're like telegraphed to you where these yeah. are not. It's essentially the filmic version of boo yeah, pretty much. So there's a lot of that in this, and mm-hmm. I I really enjoy it for that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I did keep thinking to myself is that these are just – because this one, I couldn't find the budget, but, you know, the first two were direct-to-video. And, like, uh, I did read that the house in the film was a, a real home that the production rented so that mm. they wouldn't have to build sets so it mm-hmm. would be cheaper. Uh, so I get the impression that this was a pretty low-budget movie. I mean, the vast majority of it is in one location, and it's just, like, people in a house. Uh, and there's not, like, crazy special effects or anything, but just the fact that the creepy kids are just normal children painted white. Yep. And it's obviously just paint on their bodies, uh-huh. which, you know, I've seen enough Asian films with that kind of stuff to understand that that's almost like a stylistic choice. Like, I... I recently watched a Jackie Chan movie called Spiritual Kung Fu. And it's not a horror movie. It's like a martial arts film. And it's like a lot of his early films where the premise is that, like, he's, like, you know, he he's learning martial arts, but he's not uh, studying and, and, like, practicing really hard. But then, like, uh, his sensei or a family member is killed. And then he, like, practices really hard to get good to go get revenge on the person who wronged him. And the difference between this one and some of the others is that these five ghosts appear that each represents a different style of Kung Fu. And he's taught Kung Fu by them instead of like some old master with a long beard. Mm. And the ghosts in that movie are represented by just normal people. They don't do any kind of optical effects to them or anything. And they're wearing like head to toe white, like skin tight outfits. Their faces are painted white, and then they have bright red wigs on. So it it almost feels like it goes back to kabuki theater or something, and that's just like an accepted way to show ghosts in a film, mm-hmm. or you know, mm-hmm. in a in a in a storybook or whatever. But then it's just fascinating that like the ghosts in that Jackie Chan movie obviously aren't meant to be scary. Like Jackie Chan acts afraid of them at first, but it's kind of for laughs or whatever, because the average person watching that wouldn't be afraid. Taking away the red wig. And having just like the black hair, the ghosts in this movie are pretty much the same exact thing, but just the way that they're treated makes them so unnerving. And the thing I kept thinking throughout the movie was this is just a child that obviously has white paint on him. Like you can see the streaks in the paint even, it, but it it's effective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I give it major credit for that, for still being so creepy and unnerving. Even though it's just kids with white paint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's very effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the house it was in, <laughs> I did read that after the success of the film, it became a tourist attraction. 
Oh, uh, I bet. <laughs> but it was eventually torn down in 2019. Oh, damn. So we can't go on a set visit. Man. I mean, we'll have our hands full when we go to Japan anyways. But <laughs> That's true. I would have had that on the list. Plenty to see in addition to the Grudge House. Right. I feel like, like that would have been uh, like... um. Like it would have, it would have helped us resolve some issues if we could go visit. Oh the house yeah, from the yeah, closure. Yeah, mm-hmm. like if we, but like we poke our heads around the banister at the uh, grudge house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, alas, but yeah. So I would say that this one, you know, there's some really effective scenes. Um, there's plenty of effective scares. Uh, admittedly, the the way the movie ends where it's just like the camera zooms in on the dead girl in the attic mm-hmm. and then it, the camera just lingers on her and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, she's going to open her eyes and make the fucking grudge mm-hmm. noise. And mm-hmm. I was imagining, again, like kind of the Americanized version, I was expecting the eyes to shoot open, but they just mm-hmm. slowly open and then the yeah. eyes are fucking gross and bloodshot. Yeah, And then you hear the like, ah, which continues as the like film goes to black and the credits yeah. come up. And, you know, I watched it, you know, two in the morning in my living room and I even had the lights on, but it still left me with this feeling of like, (laughs) oh God, Mm -hmm. now what? (laughs) I like, I like that just before that too, it's like a shot of the neighborhood and it's just like missing person signs everywhere. Yeah. It like, it's also kind of fucked up the way that, you know, Ringu ends with like, oh, well, we're going to stop the curse by killing my grandfather or my father with, uh, (laughs) with his videotape and letting Sadako come and scare him to death. Um, yeah, this one, the whole, <laughs> the whole idea, the whole idea is that, um, you know, this curse in the house, like it will not go away. So as long as people continue to like go to the house, uh, everybody in the town is going to be affected by it to the point mm-hmm. where it makes it feel like the curse wiped out the entire town. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's uh, like the feeling I got from it, which is like such a weird, heavy, like almost post-apocalyptic way to end the movie. Yeah, like to have a curse spread from house to house when no one even knows what to do. Yeah, cool idea. So there's there's a lot to like about this movie. I will say that the like the standout thing that just I keep coming back to that knocks it down a peg or two for me is that it is so jumbled in its storytelling style. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like the only thing I could say to someone like that that is going to watch it is almost like, like don't linger on the connective tissue of the characters. Yeah, yeah, you do end up like spend like so much of like um, my bandwidth just trying to figure out like where where do where does this come before or after what? Where it's just yeah. Once I got to the point where I was just like, I'm just gonna enjoy what it's giving me on the screen, and I did mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I enjoyed this one quite a bit as well. Um, made $4 million in the box office. So not like a ton, but apparently it was successful enough, you know? Yeah. I must have had some, some buzz to get remade so quick too. Mm-hmm. It remade in America as the grudge in 2004. Uh, interesting. Both the grudge and the grudge Two, the American versions are directed by the same director as the original Takashi Shimizu. So he remade his own film oh, and then did the cool. sequel in the u.s people do criticize the american version for being kind of confusing for the same like structural reasons we're talking about even though i do believe that they simplified it based on my recollection but uh then it was did you know this i feel like i i I recalled it when i read this but i wouldn't have been able to tell you beforehand it was remade again in america just a couple years ago in 2020 no 
Yeah, like they, they did the grudge again. Like it's not a sequel or something, but it's like another remake. Uh, with Andrea Riseborough, Damien Bashir, John Cho, Betty Gilpin, and Lynn Shea from the Conjuring movies. <laughs> oh, no, I had no idea. Or no, not the Conjuring. She's in uh, um, the uh, Insidious movies. Sorry. Right, right. Anything else for the grudge? No, I feel like we've covered we've covered our fears. Uh, finally, from 2003, one year later, we have Chikushin Ari, a.k.a. One Missed Call. This was the one I knew nothing about, really. Like, yep, I don't even think here. I could have told you the the basic premise, which is that your cell phone rings. It's a ringtone that you don't recognize as having on your phone. And when you look, it turns out that the phone number is your phone number. So you're getting a call from yourself. And then when you listen to the voicemail, it tells you that the voicemail is from like one, two or three days in the future. And you hear your own voice saying something and then screaming as you die. Right. So it's like through your cell phone, you get a premonition of your own death. You know when it's going to happen, but you don't know how or where you'll be when it happens or anything like that. Which, you know, it's uh, it, it's a little convoluted sounding, but it's still a pretty cool idea. Yeah, it's kind of like the, again, it's like the sign of the times kind of thing and like the technological aspect of like going through the phones but Mm -hmm. you know it works yeah these were the days when everybody had a flip phone (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i like the idea of this one gave me a little bit of a final destination vibe i was just gonna say that (laughs) like yeah it's like final destination yeah it's like death is coming for you and it's like inevitable and like in final Mm -hmm. destination they can keep like avoiding their own deaths but it's all going to come back around and in this one it's like Seemingly, no matter what you do, because like I kept thinking to myself and they touch on this a little bit. So you get the call and like the first girl, she hears herself say like, oh, no, it's raining. And then she screams. And then, you know, a little while later, we cut to her like walking home alone. And I'm thinking any minute now it's going to start raining. And then it does. And she's like thrown off of a bridge onto an oncoming train by like an invisible force. Mm hmm. And I was thinking to myself, like, okay, well, once the main characters in the movie understand what's going on, like, I would just, let's say, 
when, like if I'm supposed to die at like 1034, at like uh, 1020, I would just go to a police station and like sit in the <laughs> lobby or something. So I'm like around people. Mm-hmm. To see, like, if I could stop it and, like, right. you know, whatever I heard myself say, just, like, sit there silent. Don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's this weird thing of, like, how much does fate play into it? Right. Can you outrun it? Yeah. And so they mess around with that a little bit, which I didn't expect the movie to go there. But, like, the third person this happens to is the best friend of the main character. And um, the word has spread about this curse so much that these nut jobs from a TV station come mm. and are like, we want to bring you uh, like live on television when you're supposed to die and have an exorcist there. And like, we think we can help you. And even being in the television studio, it's like, oh, the ghost somehow knew all this was going to happen and yeah. knew exactly point, where she would it's, be. It's sending like uh, photos too. Yeah. And the thing that I thought, you know, it kind of plays on what we were talking about with uh, the ring. Like what if it happened in the modern day and, you know, it became viral on YouTube or something like that. I thought that they, it almost, they almost did themselves a disservice by tackling such a big idea as we're going to put you on television when you're supposed to die. I love (laughs) that concept just as like, this is an interesting wrinkle, but then the fucked up thing to me is so they bring the girl into the studio, like the cops don't believe in the curse and all this stuff, but then they live broadcast on television this girl as like this ghost comes out and fucking twists her head off. Yeah. And then you never see any of the people from the television station again. At that point, it would become like worldwide, like worldwide, this is the craziest thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity kind of situation. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's never brought up again. And right. it it kind of like it was a cool idea, but it happened early enough in the movie that it's just like nothing else came from this. <laughs> right. Like there's not like mass hysteria across the country. Yeah. Like every, you know, every organization throughout the world that's name is just like three letters didn't like come out of the woodwork and like try and figure <laughs> this out. Or it still mm-hmm. just falls to two people walking around in an abandoned hospital at the end. Right. <laughs> right. But I digress. It was a cool idea, but again, it just felt like a like almost a weird missed opportunity. Yeah, it's like they someone was aware enough that it was a good idea, but like once the idea was used up, it's like okay, we don't need to yeah ever touch on it again, which is you know poor choice. It feels like that should have happened more towards the end because that did feel like the middle of the movie to me. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's probably right in the middle of the runtime. That was before like any of the mystery began to be. Uh, cleared up oh for sure yeah so i mean it's it's a little formulaic in the beginning where it's just phone call death phone call death then the television studio thing happens and you know that kind of goes nowhere at some point then like the real uh mystery takes hold and they start investigating and you know finding out i i did think it was a good misdirect where they bring up the whole munchausen by proxy thing yep which i've heard about before which is where like uh, they tackle it in um, the remake of It. I think it's probably, yeah, it's in the original as well, now that I think about it, but um, where it's like a parent either desires their child to be dependent on them or desires sympathy from other people. Mm-hmm. So they purposefully make their children sick, poison them or whatever, so that the child is dependent on them. And that's what it seems like was going on. Like it seems like the uh, the ghost, the person doing the haunting in this, was mistreated by her mother. So everyone views her, the mother as being like 
the evil one, but then right. it turns out that no, it's like the the older sister was torturing her younger sister, and then to keep the younger sister from saying anything, she would give her candy as like a bribe to keep your mouth shut, and that's why all the dead people end up with the candy in their mouths. Yep, which is creepy, and yeah, I don't think I even noticed it at first. What's exactly going on with the candy? Yeah, but. Well, it's not until they reveal why that it makes any sense. So I'll yeah, agree with you yeah. there. Or at least like the first one, I was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, what popped out of that person's mouth? Uh-huh. Oh, it's like a jawbreaker. Right. But um, yeah, I enjoyed all that mystery stuff. I thought that was a pretty good twist, especially since you don't find out until after there's already a zombie mom walking around, which <laughs> right. she's the one that you alluded to earlier. That was like this movie definitely felt like it had a bigger budget than the other two. Oh, yeah. Um, not by much. 1.7, which is only like half a million more than uh, the Ring had or Ringu had. But um, man, that zombie mother with like all the skin falling off mm-hmm. and everything was a good effect. It looked real good. Yeah. The coloring was nice. Looked creepy. Like mm-hmm. teeth and eyes were extra gross. And then just when sections of skins just start pulling away and yeah. falling off. I even love that she wasn't just like your typical like pale corpse or something. She almost oh, yeah. looked like they had dug her up from like the bottom of the ocean. She was all like mm-hmm. green and wrinkly looking. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I was a big fan of that. Mhm. So that was super effective that whole sequence. And yeah, I like the twist of the the sister. Uh there's a lot of things that feel kind of hokey and been there done that in this like the discovering of a videotape that reveals everything at the last minute. Right. Yeah, that just like conveniently they didn't have before, and uh-huh. that creates a, like a need for like the last minute. Oh, I have to run to the person's house to to tell them that uh, you know we were wrong and right, you're right. still in danger. But but then yeah, so the ending. Can you explain to me the ending of the movie? <laughs> oh God, no! I was going to ask you to do that. <laughs> I only kind of know what happened because I read about. It. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, when the movie ended, I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, seemingly, right. I don't feel as bad. <laughs> seemingly, even though possession was not a part of the movie at all beforehand, mm-hmm. the evil little girl, uh, Mimoko, Mimiko, yep. she possessed the lead character, and then is planning to torture the detect the male detective. She basically, quote unquote, found a new Nanako, which was her little sister, who she would like torture for fun. All right, but she could have done that without I I know jumping it, in someone's body yeah it like, really it does not have the nice clean wrap up that uh the other two do yeah uh it feels like they were trying to pull one last twist on you and i actually read that there was even a, a further ending that they decided to cut because they thought it ruined the tone of the film where it was going to cut to the um the exorcist from the television broadcast who now would have had been missing both of his arms because of like being maimed during the uh, the failed exorcism, uh-huh. and he was gonna get a call, but like the message being left was only like a couple seconds in the future instead of like a couple days, and then something stupid like a pot was gonna fall on his head and and kill him, oh, and that God. was gonna be like the end of the movie. <laughs> mm. So probably best that they left that out, but I don't yeah. know. I don't. I th- I like this one feels like more of the. The tropiest of the three. Yeah, it feels like uh, a response to the others. Like, hey, they yeah. did something successful. Let's let's copy that. Yeah, and then it's just like, even though I did find it creepy, but there's just like at one point there's like a creepy lady walking on the ceiling or whatever, and it's like, 
you know, or other times now people are getting possessed. It's like pretty willy nilly with like what happens or what can be done or not done. Yeah. You know, which I think that's indicative of a lot of horror from that time. And still today, it's just Mm -hmm. just trying to scare people by doing anything. Yeah. I mean, it feels like in the case of the ring, you know, they had a pretty clear understanding of what the villain is capable of and how she's going to accomplish things. The grudge is a little more broad because it's just like this haunting is going to get you no matter how it has to. But Mm -hmm. then this one, like I understand the, you know, the reasoning behind why the spirit is restless and, but I don't understand yes. why similar to why a videotape in the ring, like why the cell phones specifically in this one and yeah. what exactly is the spirit capable of? Like exactly. Yeah. At first I was like when the girl fell onto the train in the very beginning, you see like the links in the chain, uh, the chain mm-hmm. link fence next to her breaking to like allow her to fall through. And that reminded me a little bit, of that like right off the bat final destination like we talked about where final destination there's never a physical representation of a ghost or something attacking people or a demon it's just like things coincidentally happen around them like mm-hmm. you know objects moving by themselves to make a dangerous situation where the person could fall and hurt themselves or whatever that's what this seemed like at the beginning but then immediately the second death that you see is when the guy falls down the elevator shaft mm-hmm. and he doesn't fall down the elevator shaft it's like he's standing there staring at the elevator door like I ain't going near that thing because I already got the phone call so I know I'm supposed to die and then an invisible hand grabs him by the ankle and drags him into the elevator shaft <laughs> right right so it's kind of that and the train seem like accidents but then by the time you get to it's either the third or fourth one the girl on television, it's not like, oh, one of the lighting fixtures fell and landed on her. Like, literally, she, an invisible <laughs> right. force, like, twists her head off. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, right. is the ghost trying to hide what it's doing or not? I... Yeah. Yeah, because definitely, it's not when he pulls that one guy into the elevator shaft. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, like I said, it's kind of like willy-nilly with what, mm-hmm. with the rules, quote-unquote. Yeah. By no means terrible. No. I still found it pretty effective. This one, I think the other two are about an hour and a half. This one is close to two hours long and it felt a little long. It did. I think that comes partially from Takashi Miike, who's the director. He's the guy who gave us Audition, Ichi the Killer, Sukiyaki Western Django. He did the most recent Zatoichi live action film in 2007. He's done like 100 movies, right? Yeah, he's done a shitload of movies. He did uh, Blade of the Immortal. Blade of the Immortal. Thirteen yeah. Assassins. You know, he does a lot of like crazy, gory stuff. He does like some weird comedy stuff. He does, you know, franchise movies, independent weird stuff. He he does a little bit of everything. He's like a journeyman Japanese director. Uh-huh. But you know, from the the couple that I've seen, like Audition, I think has a couple really good moments in it. But I don't love that movie as much as a lot of other people. Uh, Ichi the Killer, I watched not super long ago. And um, didn't love it. it. It felt very long. I remember Sukiyaki Western Django feeling very long back when I watched it. 13 Assassins is a great movie. Also has kind of an epic length. And I mean, Blade of the Immortal was him trying to do a adaptation of like a like 30-something volume mm-hmm. comic book. Mm-hmm. So 
that also felt long. So I think the length comes down to him a little bit. Yeah, it's that's like okay a, too. Like a trend in his movies. But I mm-hmm. also think the movie's nice visual style also comes from him because yeah, he's yeah. a very visual director. Yeah, a lot of it looks cool. I mean, like I would chalk it up to him for that good creature effect. Oh yeah, you know for sure. Yeah, um, where I you know totally appreciate the simplicity of Sadako and um, the Kayako and the little boy and Juwan. Mm-hmm. In this, it's like they went full on creature effects for that yeah. scene, and it is right. stunning. So mm-hmm. yeah, it is great. It's like a saving grace of the movie. Oh, it is definitely movie. a highlight. Yeah, for me as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so, you know, this one feels a little more convoluted. It feels like it's try-harding a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a little bit long. Uh, feels like it has a Western influence where the others don't. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I mean, this was coming after the ring had already hit in the United States, you yep. know, so. Yep. But yeah, I still, I still liked it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it. It had its issues. This was also the last one I watched, so I don't know if I was feeling a little bit of, like, J-horror fatigue. Mm. I don't know. It's the first one I watched, so oh, okay. I'm kind of on par, so. I was going to say, it's just not as high and tight as the other two, I think. Yeah, I, that's a good, perfectly good way to put it. <laughs> Similar to Ringu, this was based on a novel of the same name by Yasushi Akimoto. Uh, I don't know what his favorite film was, though, unfortunately. Um, this was followed by a sequel in 2005 called One Missed Call 2 and a third film called One Missed Call Final in 2006. Uh, budget was 1.7 million, box office was 16.2. Oh, that'll work. And, uh, remade in America as One Missed Call in 2008 starring Shannon Sossaman and Edward Burns. Oh, yeah, girl. Uh, I am a Sossaman fan. I am a Sossaman. Yeah. (laughs) Um, <laughs> awesome, man. and, um, I, I won't get too, too into this because we're talking primarily about the Japanese films, not the American remakes, but haven't seen one missed call the other day I was in the comic store and I was talking to a customer about the fact that I was watching some J horror movies. Cause I know that he's a fan as well. And I mentioned that, uh, like that night I was going to go home and watch one missed call and my coworker from across the store heard me say one missed call and shouted out like, oh my God, that movie's fucking terrible or something like that. And I was like, oh, really? And he's like, oh, the American version. Mm. And he was just saying how he watched it like a year ago and thought it sucked. So I decided to look it up. And it, like, yeah, this movie I thought was pretty good. I read a plot synopsis of the American version. It sounds pretty similar. I don't know what the fuck they did to it, but... The American version of One Missed Call that came out in like 2008 or whatever, it is. it has the distinction of being one of the few movies that has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yikes. And I found it on many lists of the worst movies of the 2000s. Damn. And in fact, I, I saw one list that was like the 33 worst movies of the 2000s based on their Rotten Tomatoes scores. And it was listed as the second worst movie of the 2000s after ballistic x versus sever <laughs> x versus sever's got to be better than that i mean i saw it back when it came out and i remember that movie being shit but <laughs> i don't think i i don't think i've seen it yeah. i don't remember i know it has a reputation of being god awful as well but like i oh. i find it hard to imagine that the american version of this is that bad but Maybe. i guess now i got to 
Gotta watch it and find out. I mean, gotta. Gotta happen. Yeah. Gotta catch them all. So, yeah. That's all I got for uh, Chikusin Ari. Right. Let's get them to, to them posties. All right, this is going to be interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've walked this line before with, like, Japanese posters and, like, what is their deal <laughs> a lot of the time. Right. So, uh, and also take into account... Um, I did my best to determine what the quote unquote actual theatrical posters for these movies would have been. Mm-hmm. So the one for the ring, I mean, it's got a circle on it. It's got a circle. It kind of says the ring. I mean, it looks like this could be like anything. This could be like a a coffee advertisement or it could be an album cover. It definitely I mean, looks just... like a like a Static X album cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just uh, like, is that even the lead actress in on the poster? Uh, I can't tell. It's like so hard maybe. to see what she looks like. Maybe, but it's just uh, yeah. It's like, it's just it's very just... like you know reddish brown. Yeah, it's kind of just muddy, and I, it tells it you nothing. I mean, the movie's called The Ring. Like I say, that was one of the best things back when I saw it that I didn't know what the title meant. But I mean uh-huh. that yellowish ring almost it reminds me because of the color of the uh the one ring from lord of the rings <laughs> yeah i mean the ring poster just need just needs to show the the well you know i mean that the would well, be a good the poster. well in the field yeah you know? like, what else do you need mm-hmm. so not a very effective poster no no sir juan better I'm actually a fan of this one. Yeah. I think it's like a lot of contrast. Um, the kanji looks good in the middle. I mean, it's a creepy kid in white in white paint. Yeah. You know, he's got those dead eyes. Mm-hmm. There's like variations of this one too. Like I've seen it in like kind of different ways. Yeah, the one I'm used movie. to seeing I think might have been the DVD cover in the US where it was like Mostly red, but then they took like a strip of this image and put it down the one side. I was, I was gonna say, I knew it had like uh, some more color. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like this one. I mean, yeah. This uh, for all intents and purposes, yeah. It's uh, it'll grab your eye. It, like you said, there's a high contrast to it. It's not exactly creepy because though the kid has like black eyes, he's just kind of looking sort of sad. So yeah, this could be like some historical drama or something mm-hmm. for all That's I know. True. But yeah, totally. Like seeing the film, it's uh yeah, it's a pretty good pretty good choice. I mean, it's far mm-hmm. superior to the ring anyway, or Ringu rather. And then uh and then just how bad is this one? <laughs> I mean, for all I know again, this could be like a magazine ad or something. I I but I this would is say like all was, I could find. <laughs> I would say this was an advertisement to sell that phone. It's <laughs> like a, <laughs> a little website down there. Yeah, like this just this could be uh you know, the uh, product placement ad. Yeah. I mean, Brutal. this looks like, you know, the kind of, the kind of shitty like Photoshop posters you see these days for like mm-hmm. direct to Netflix horror movies. This is oh, like yeah. one of those, but made in the year like 2005. It's right. just, it's just so ugly, blurry, ugly, terribly done. Yeah. Garbage. Mm-hmm. There's like no, no artistry to this at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like you see more of the ghost on this poster than you ever do in the movie. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, rough. It's rough. Rough night. Mm-hmm. Break it down for the people. Uh, I mean, 
the ring it's i don't it's not a good poster it doesn't really sell it at all i'm going to give it uh, one fingernail embedded in the uh oh. the side of the well <laughs> oh that was good the one missed call poster is also hideous like it's worse than the ring one but it's also going to get a it's going to get one missed call that's what it's going to get <laughs> <laughs> oh shit and yeah juan i i could imagine a better poster at getting like across the idea of it but there is something that i like about the fact that this is so like kind of nondescript just mm-hmm. yeah you don't know like looking at this poster before going in to see the movie you don't know like how creepy the thing is that you're looking at once right. you see it right. in action I'll give this one uh, three single strands of stringy black hair. Ooh. I like it. There you go. Get, you're real good at this. <laughs> I've had, one I've had practice. Call. One <laughs> I mean, it was right there. Love it was calling it. out it. to me. No pun intended. Uh, Millsy baby. Bye. Borrow. Burn. Uh, I'll go. Okay. I'm going to give the bye to Ringu. I mean, it's so close to the American which American one, which I already liked. I love seeing the inspiration for that movie, which I already liked, but it's just, it's, it's a solid film. It's like a great, great pacing where we talked about how good it looks for how simple it is and uh, what an effective ending that movie has. Uh-huh. Uh, when it comes down to the other two, I feel like they both have their flaws, but um I'm going to give the borrow to Juwan just because I think that the scares, the creepiness factor is more effective in it. I mean, it, I did say that it, uh, it feels like it, it's a little confused in the storytelling method. I feel like that could have easily been fixed if it just wasn't nonlinear the way that it is. Uh And I can't, you know, I'm not saying that like I'm giving it a pass because, Oh, if you just rearranged the scenes, it would have been better because that's not the movie that they made. But I just found that I was more, and this is potentially because I went into the movie with expectations of like, Ooh, this disturbed me the last time I saw one of these, but I was more like kind of gripped by it the whole time it had more of a sustained f- sense of like dread and kept me engaged in it a little more. And uh, again, what an ending, like what, <laughs> what a great, like final couple mm-hmm. of minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the burn is going to be Chikushin Ari, one missed call, which um, yeah, I mean, it has the great zombie lady and it's got like a good premise, but it is, it's too long. It's too confused. The ending doesn't make a goddamn bit of sense. Yeah, Uh, it's just it's like the sloppiest of the three. And I, you know, I was uh, like losing interest a little bit here and there in the middle because this this easily could have been a 95 minute movie instead of like a an hour and 52 minute long film. Yeah. So I like it. Um, For me, I'll start off with my burn, which is also one missed call. Mm-hmm. Um, not not a toss to the sun. Nope. I mean, there's some stuff. It's like I almost just we align completely on that. It's too long. Uh, it feels like it even like tries a little too hard. It's got a great creature effect, which I definitely give a kudos for that. But um, the story's just not as tight, and really, it's almost completely ruined for me with that ending because it just yeah. seems, it's just and it just feels unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So, 
that's what does it in for me ultimately. Um, the other two, Juwan, Ringu, um, it's pretty close to a toss-up, but um, ultimately my buy is Juwan, the grudge. Oh, I think Ringu is really tight as a story, like beginning, middle, and end, where Juwan, like we've said, is it's pretty jumbled. But what I'm just thinking of putting the horror in J-horror, like... <laughs> Juwan just like does it for me and like I'm very I got like I said it was like almost my viewing experience where I kind of just like let it ride and I found myself just like really getting like roped into the to the scares and the chills and just that that general vibe of discomfort Mm -hmm. you know I liked it in its simplicity and while the ring Ringu does have a great ending too I loved Juwan's ending it's really just, it was really like the scares, I think, were what broke it down for the two of them for me. So, yeah. Buying Juwan, barring Ringu. Juwan is definitely more of a horror film where uh, there's really no, that one stands out from the other two in that it's not about an investigation. Like, there's a little right. element to that because there's like some cops looking into it, but since it doesn't have a really a main character that you're following, it's not like, Going along with someone as they decide we have mm-hmm. to go to the abandoned totally. hospital. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, th- it feels like it could be like a anthology television series where every week you just turn in and the episode starts with somebody going in the house and by the end they're dead. Yeah, right. right. Like you're just watching the story of their death. Yeah. But yeah, man, I can dig me some J horror, Millsy. Nice. Conquering those fears. It's now your favorite. Yeah. Uh, your favorite J horror film. <laughs> oh, look at that. Well, friend, mm-hmm. now's the time for episode 66. How many uh, potential episodes do we have? We have 236 themes currently available. 236. Lizzie. 168. Wow, that's pretty late for us. High, high numbers. All right, 168 is going to be Adventure Time. Oh, oh! This is fun. Mm-hmm. I've seen them all. Uh, uh, I have not. Oh, which one have you not? The third one. Stop. Never seen it. Wow, that's the one I've seen the most. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> the The first one was a favorite of mine that I have not seen in. Potentially, I was gonna say seven I'm, years. I'm, not to give too much away, I was guessing that these are probably all like uh, longtime favorites of yours, or at least movies that you have uh, like a history with. I mean, just based off of experience, the middle one is would be my least favorite of the three. I mean, I've I've not seen the third one, and I've only seen the other two one time each. So mm, this will <laughs> be fun. Adventure time, baby. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. Adventure time. Right. Uh, that's a pre- that's pretty broad. I feel like we gave a lot of hints just then, but I don't know if, it, if there's anything yeah. anything that could really give it away. But uh, by all means, give us your guesses as yeah. to what movies you think we'll be discussing next episode. Try your luck, scoundrels. Yeah, but until uh, episode sixty six in three weeks time for Triple Threat Theater episode number sixty five, putting the J in horror. My name is Ryan Miller, and I'm Joe Daxberger. Ah. Uh... So 
was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.